severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Get A Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industries. I am of course your host Jamie McKinley and we have another brilliant episode lined up for you today. But before I get into that, I just wanted to let you guys know that As some of you probably saw on our social media, we are doing another Christmas special this year, like we did last year. And we're also doing, for the first time, a New Year special. So the Christmas and New Year specials will be the next two episodes after this one and next week and the week after. Very exciting. We recorded them on Saturday. We had a great time recording them, as always. And we had some familiar faces returning to the podcast. So I look forward to you hearing them. And after that, we'll probably take a couple of weeks off and we'll be back again with normal service in the middle of January. But thank you, as always, for tuning into this podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. Thank you very much for listening. As always, please, if you can, share the podcast. Word of mouth is our biggest tool we're an independent podcast that is how we grow so if you're enjoying this podcast or you're a first time listener and you enjoyed today's episode be sure to tell friends and family to listen but anyway let's get into it this week on the podcast we have a brilliant episode in store as i was joined by zara janjua and zara is incredible so zara is a comedian she's a presenter she's a journalist she's a writer she's an actor she's a filmmaker she's so many amazing things and that's why this week's episode is called master of the multi-hyphen because in my opinion Zara is a master of that but we spoke about lots of amazing things we spoke we spoke about Zara working as a journalist at COP26 recently we spoke about her time presenting STV News years ago we spoke about how she was a producer on This Morning we spoke about her comedy shorts the BBC we spoke about what she's been up to recently lots and lots of amazing chat all about her being a multi-hyphen and a creative person and I very much hope you enjoy this one as much as I enjoyed recording it Hi Zara, thank you very much for coming on Just Get Real. I'm very, very excited to speak to you. Thank you for having me, Jamie. Yeah, we, we got it second time lucky. We had some sort of technical difficulties yesterday, but we're, we're doing it today and it's going to be great. I can't believe you're calling me out of my prison. No, no, it's not your fault at all. <laughs> it's not your fault at all. It happens. I was out in the sticks. It was a yeah. cold, lonely place out there, Jamie, <laughs> with no connection. In I know. A place called Blagden. Yeah, well, I was going to, you know, usually introduce the guests, what they do and stuff, but you're you're an incredible person to introduce because you do a lot of things, like you're very multi-hyphen, so you're like a journalist, you've done, you act, you present, you're a broadcaster, you're a writer, you're a comedian, I'm probably missing things out here, by the way, you've done podcast, radio, so many amazing creative things in your career, so firstly, if you maybe just want to talk about being like a multi-hyphen before we get into it, because it's fascinating to me. Yeah, sure, I mean, I didn't actually know what to call myself for such a long time, apart from like real pain in the ass or something. Someone that just didn't know how to choose a job, really. I guess it came about from just taking opportunities and, and just accepting work and uh, challenges whenever they came up. And it sort of starts opening up new career streams and income streams. And uh, before I knew it, it was just getting a wee bit out of control. <laughs> 
But it's been great because having the ability to do so many different things, especially over the pandemic, because I went full-time self-employed about three months before the pandemic happened and spent about six or seven weeks of that working on my first philanthropic filming project out in Nepal, because I was like, I, I started off in human rights journalism and I always thought I was going to like do something really meaningful. And now I'm doing a lot of stand-up comedy. <laughs> and so I felt like I had to go back to my roots a little bit and start doing projects, offering my skill set to organizations and, and, and issues that, that could really benefit from it. So I did that for six, seven weeks and then came back to all my work being canned, but, you know, which was obviously a bit squeaky bum, but you know, I think when you have multiple income streams or the ability to adapt and there's always something happening at some point or at some place within my career. So being a multi-hyphen, when I heard that term, yeah. it was the term that was introduced a few years ago by a journalist called Emma Gannon. And she has written a number of books. She's got a great podcast. Not that I'm trying to divert people away from your podcast. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's competition, not competition. There's, competition, there's loads of great, I plug, I plug podcasts all the time. It's fine. There's lots of great ones. <laughs> But yeah, she she coined this term multi-hyphen and I, for the first time when I heard it, I was like, oh, that's finally how I can describe what I do. Because when people would ask me what I did, I thought, you know, be there for half an hour being like, sometimes yeah. I do this and other times I do that. And this is my background. And you end up giving people your life story, but it has <laughs> absolutely made my elevator pitch so much easier now that I can just say multi-hyphen. Yeah. But I mean, I think a lot of creative people are the same and it isn't, it can be a difficult one. People say, what, what's your role? What do you do? How do you identify? And sometimes you feel, you feel weird identifying as one thing, but then you're also comfortable doing it the other. But I think it's great that you can just say that and like, then you can maybe explain it if they want to ask more. But I mean, there's so much stuff that you do. So it's pretty incredible that you managed to do it all as well. Well, thanks. I mean, I also feel like it depends on your audience though. Like I totally decide to choose and adapt and change <laughs> and pick bits out depending on who I'm speaking to and what I need to happen in that conversation. Or, you know, if I'm pitching for work, because quite often, you know, one of the roles I have is I sit on a board for NatWest. I'm on the Equality Council for, for NatWest, an advisory council, which was a role I took earlier this year. So I've got that, that on one hand, which is sitting in very kind of serious meetings with directors and, and discussing strategies for within NatWest, which is just, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of brilliant opportunity for me because my background was business I studied business as an undergrad and never thought I was going to use it so I was like this is always, fantastic always comes back to help full circle full circle so on one yeah. hand I'm doing that and then other times I'm making up silly characters and doing stand-up comedy or pretending I'm a 15 year old makeup you know influencer on YouTube called Kelly Kandashian so you know I just <laughs> I, I have to pick and choose. I have to be selective in how I present myself. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. Well, there's been plenty of for us to unpack as we go on in the interview. And I'm going to be a bit cheeky as well, because usually we start the podcast by asking about people's earliest creative memories. But before I do that, I'm going to quickly ask, because I know you've just been at COP26, which is really interesting. I don't, I've not really spoke to anyone that's been there. And I know you were at the New York Times, at the Climate Hub there. So how, how was COP and like what was sort of happening with that? Oh my gosh, it was really full on. So from a personal perspective, most of us have not worked you know, at events like this and this full on since before the pandemic. So to be there every day for sort of 15 hours, you know, for 10 days, it was really packed. It was really challenging. I was picking up interviews, post panel discussions and post sessions with some of the key players
Al Gore, John Kerry, Stella McCartney. There were some really great opportunities to yeah. to, to speak to people. Vanessa Nakati. So even everyone from world leaders to you know activists to fashion icons. I mean, it was such an interesting mix of people. But every day things were changing. You know, depending on what the the top lines were coming out of the conference. And I think it raised a lot of for me a lot of issues. What's the mm-hmm. point? Is is in, in most most people are wondering what's the point? Is this going to make any difference? Is this going to yeah. have any impact whatsoever but there was also when you listen to the panels and part of the job I love about being a journalist is that you know you really do have to listen to to these discussions if you're going to interview Al Gore when he comes off stage you need to know what he said on stage right so you 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 were really listening to them and those sessions were fantastic just having access to people like that and being able to pose a couple questions to them fantastic but actually the ones that I really enjoyed were just the maybe slightly less high profile but Mm. more and and slightly more niche interesting ones like discussions with indigenous populations or discussions about the food industry oh my god there was a guy who he's a director for a company called insect and they're looking at ways of breeding insects to feed livestock to feed population apparently two billion people in the world eat insects every day and so he's trying to transform the way that we feed our livestock this could revolutionize or this could change the, the the whole system and it could really make a big big impact when it comes to some of the the emissions the the problems with agriculture that we face so yeah there was just loads of really interesting discussions but I was knackered and I got back and I got sick oh man yeah (laughs) I was so sick for a week Jamie oh dear I know it's like you forget what it's like to be ill after being in lockdown for two years like I got that horrible non-covid cold a few weeks ago when I'd been in London and it absolutely floored me and I was like I was like it's just a cold but you forget <laughs> you forget I think I don't think I was sick I think it was just people Ugh. like <laughs> having to be around people all day it was disgusting <laughs> Drained, you, yeah you forgot no that's yeah. really interesting about the the cop stuff I, I just wanted to ask because you know it's it was an unusual event and quite a big thing for Scotland the UK I mean yeah it was a big deal to have it here so it's interesting you know it's cool that you got to sort of be there and and see it all firsthand yeah do you know what it was and and also for the New York Times which is I I still find it a bit barmy really that there were no none of the Scottish media decided to take that space you know it was Mm. we were based in SWG3 just across the road from the conference but there was no huge presence from any of the Scottish media at the conference I mean we all they all had reporters there they were all covering it but New York Times really took ownership of COP26. They sort of established themselves as, as thought leaders in, in the whole thing as well. And, you know, they secured, I mean, honestly, there was one day that I was there, and I just need to tell you this anecdote because it's hilarious. One day that I was there, Greta Thunberg was supposed to be speaking that day, but she arrived at sort of four o'clock. She hadn't eaten. And the room that I'd been working in, my laptop, she just, she needed somewhere to sit. She got put into this room with my laptop and I couldn't get access to the room for three hours. Three hours she sat in that room and said that she wasn't going to talk. And so I was, and I was like, guys, I can't even get my laptop. Can someone just go in and get it for me? We Greta's sitting there in front of my laptop. So meanwhile, I was having stands out on the staircase and wait. I was trying to find somewhere to work and trying to work on my phone. And I caught the moment that Leonardo DiCaprio and Stella McCartney were having a chat on the stairs, trying to go down and they got stuck in the stairwell because Al Gore was doing an interview with Channel 4 and I was just like this is such a weird parallel universe moment from Cop <laughs> that I'm never going to forget that Greta Thunberg's over here in my, in my room with my laptop and this situation is unfolding my for me yeah my very word. bizarre that's ultimate like and not, not, I loved hearing it it's just like I, I feel like these are like the biggest name drops I ever had on the podcast before it's great thanks fantastic yeah Jamie thanks for that I'll take that no, no. badge yeah, of honour 
Yeah, good, good. No, that's really interesting. And like, yeah, I've something else, and this is a very cheeky question. Again, I keep going off in tangents, but like, did you get I'm any? I'm 36. Sort of, don't worry. Oh no, it's not my age. It's not my age. No, 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 no. No, I just was gonna say. <laughs> Not at all. I was gonna. <laughs> I was going to ask. Like, did you get any like takeaways from being at COP about anything that maybe people in the, our industry, like in the creative industries, can can start to do to change things, or is that too specific for you to go into? I, I'm just curious. No, I, I mean, one of the the great conversations really was with Stella McCartney because she's been at the forefront of industry change and tracking her environmental footprint at yeah. Stella McCartney for decades, really. So before the the industry was even, I mean, the industry is now beginning to sit up and take notice. Yeah, but but they're really looking at ways to minimize waste truckloads five billion dollars worth of of clothes every single year are sent to landfills or burned or uh, and these she's looking at ways of taking that material and sort of reweaving it and and turning it into something new something different and this is kind of we really need to be getting into that headspace within the creative industry of kind of how do we use what we have how do we recycle I mean that's very specific to the fashion industry but you know I think certainly I know that a number of commissioners now are like how can we because I'm a writer and they're asking me all the time do you have anything about the environment and I'm like what like Fern Gully you want me to write the next Fern Gully yeah, yeah, yeah. because Fern Gully's already happened mm-hmm. but they're really keen they're really keen to you know find ways of tapping into the younger audiences and connecting with this generation that are so focused so keen so tapped mm. into that how do they access them and a lot of that is through the arts so yeah I think absolutely there is there's a huge requirement there for us to create stuff that speaks to that audience and that can be inclusive and that people can learn from you know I know the BBC mm. in particular always really keen to find you know where's the, the learning resources and tools but you know so I think Jamie I think everything everything I do exposes you to new ideas all the time and you just never know what's going to inspire thought what's going yeah. to inspire something a creative idea and I have no doubt there'll be something from cop that makes it into one of my screenplays at some point absolutely no no I, just, I think it's a very important thing to ask just because it's, and it's very, obviously a massive massive issue and something I've really been keen to talk about in the podcast and and something we're doing at STV Studios just now with our slate is we're trying to go through it and see is there a way we can get any environmental stories even if it does it's not what the main script's about is there a way we can have a backstory that's about you know climate change is one of the plots are just people talking about it so people are hearing it and being inspired and I think you know hopefully a lot of other production companies will do the same but it's just great to have oh, it was a like all the soaps wasn't it, it? Yeah, yeah 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 well yeah, it's great soaps did that a few weeks ago didn't they mm-hmm. they decided to have some sort of like climate change storyline or awareness through them which was yeah, yeah. you know absolutely cool challenge for the screenwriters um, yeah but anyway thank you for answering all these quite big questions about the environment I'll sort of get into you now more personally so it might be a bit easier for you to answer not as much thought required <laughs> thank god I was sitting there going crisis like being on university challenge I know I didn't I I, remember I my this stats is, this, this is not what you were prepped for or expected so I appreciate it I just I've kind of ambushed you with those questions That's but anyway thank you felt filled the first 10 minutes brilliantly but the first question we ask on the podcast is about people's earliest creative memories so do you remember sort of when your earliest creative memories were when you sort of decided you'd like to work in this industry and in any of the various roles you sort of ended up doing I mean my earliest memories all of my childhood was spent doing artwork and creating stuff I remember we lived in Clevedon Drive like mm. in not far from Botanic Gardens when we were younger but we were in a basement flat and it was really damp and so my mom never wanted us to be in that very much because it was really bad I had asthma my older brother had asthma so no matter what the weather was 
we were kind of outdoors a lot. We would go to botanic gardens. But my mum would would make things like she made play doh from scratch. Yeah. Like you can make play doh, guys. <laughs> like I feel like this is amazing. So. <laughs> You know, it was a bit too expensive for us to buy. So we would always get, I mean, honestly, we got the knockoff versions of absolutely everything. Like even with He-Man and She-Ra characters, like we got them from the Barras and they were like the really crap figurines that didn't move properly or that were just like, you know, like if you get knockoff stuff, yeah. it's not it's not quite like all we had all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but none of them could do anything and they didn't have any of the bits that we needed. So they were a bit rubbish. But yeah, we were always playing with the Play-Doh, making things, being very kind of involved. Mm. There was always lots of activities and I remember when my mom my mom went to my first parents evening at school when I was in primary one and the teacher and she, she still tells this story because she thinks it's hilarious given the way I am now that nothing has changed the teacher mentioned that I was very prolific and I was like what do you mean by prolific and she said that apparently one day the teacher said right we're, we're going to do some drawing when everyone's paint a picture of a tree and yeah. I did 10 pictures of trees and was like just churning them out just like desperately <laughs> like I'm gonna do the most trees I'm gonna do all the trees I'm gonna you know draw every single tree <laughs> on the planet and I think that's yeah I just remember uh there always being artwork on my walls they're always being and I I thought I was gonna go to art school from being like I thought that's what I was gonna do I ended up studying advanced higher art and I still do a lot of artwork when I was in university doing my master's degree in journalism I was trying to raise some money for the innocence project I'd started volunteering with mm. them to we were mis- investigating miscarriages of justice and drafting appeals to the Scottish Criminal Case Review Commission and they were looking for some funds and I had been painting these kind of big canvases at the time and doing lots of different things with art and I don't really do anything with it I occasionally try and animate stuff or do anyway I don't really do anything with it but I just enjoy it <laughs> yeah. and so I thought oh I'll do like a little art show and I managed to get space in this restaurant bar that offered to put my canvases up and so like I sold them for the for that but yeah there's the art is, is a strange one because that's definitely where it started and it's yeah. one that I don't particularly do anything with now but I, I think that was the beginning that was a seedling of of my creative spark I suppose because a lot of what you do creatively is is sort of your career and what you make a living off as well it must be quite nice to just have something like your art though that is almost just like a little hobby that you can do just for you and that's maybe quite nice though right yeah I mean I think it's more cathartic than it's almost like going for a run like you know like when you go for a run and you get all those lovely endorphins and you disappear Mm. you know like I quite often if I'm out running and I'm just listening to music I forget to you know I'm not looking at how far I'm going or how long I've been out and, you know, then I'll realize that, you know, I've done 5K and now I need to do another bloody 5K to get back home. And I'm, you know, considering why I didn't bring any bus money. That's what it feels like when I when I draw as well. When I'm sitting with art, I can easily... There's been days, Jamie, that I'll get up in the morning and maybe start sketching something. And it, I don't know what happens, but all of a sudden it's four o'clock in the afternoon and I haven't drank anything all day. I haven't peed. Like, <laughs> just I haven't just gone anywhere. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, yeah. where have the last seven hours gone? And I feel exhausted and mentally drained, but like euphoric. It's, it's really yeah. nice to really have nice. something that can do that. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Yeah. And you sort of touched on, you know, growing up in Glasgow and there and stuff. But another question we sort of asked, and you, it kind of did tie into your first answer as well but it's just about how like sort of growing up in Glasgow and where you're from has sort of influenced you as a creative person just in your life I think my background's been the the most important Mm. 
part of, of structuring who I am and you know having the family that I that I have not just the place that I'm from but the, yeah. really the family that I'm from yeah, yeah I had to find my way in my family and my mum jokes a lot about the fact that I'm a middle child because <laughs> I have massive middle child syndrome you know my, my older brother was always getting attention because he was being naughty and my little brother was always getting attention because he was being silly and being really funny and so I was constantly like no one's listening to me you know no one's ever listening to me and I had I felt like I had to do things to really impress them all the time I just had to do things that they would make them pay attention to me so my mom still thinks that that's the case now and she's like that's why you do all this (laughs) stuff because you're a middle child and you need therapy (laughs) But, but yeah Glasgow in particular you know I I found you know, being outdoors a lot in a city when I was very, very young was interesting because I mentioned, you know, my family didn't have, we weren't, you know, particularly wealthy growing up. And yeah. my dad had had a heart attack not long after I was born. And so like, actually I was in hospital having been born at the same time as he was in hospital with, with a heart mm. attack. And then he'd, he'd lost all his, he bought and sold cars and he'd invested all his money in a few cars at the auction and the auction house went bust and we lost everything yeah. and we had nothing. And so it was really, really difficult. And I think, you know, growing up in a damp basement flat, I just remember, you know, it was, I, I just remember it being very dark in the house yeah. a lot growing up. And so, yeah, my mum did want to take us out every day. My mum yeah. and dad were both very thrifty people. They still are, like they make and they mend and they don't waste anything. They're not extravagant people in the slightest. And, mm-hmm. you know, my dad's still wearing vests and stuff that he bought back in the 70s that's how you know my family that's how my family rolled and I, I there was part of that sort of seeing how especially the cooking and that that's something I, I really love doing and that really came from my childhood from a really young age watching my mum preparing everything from scratch and she still does prepare you know yeah. meals every single night from scratch you learn to kind of how you create a family and a community through mm-hmm. creating you know you, you make a family yeah. by creating stuff together and even if we weren't playing games it was part of my escapism because I had to you know we, we didn't have a lot of space in the house and so I would pick a corner and sit and do do some artwork and I could just zone out and and be alone and be by myself and alone with my thoughts which was something I still need to do you know I feel like I do have quite a big personality at times and people think that that's you know being an extrovert you you don't ever need that space alone but actually I crave it a lot you know would quite happily disappear for a week by myself in a cabin somewhere in a forest this is like starting to sound like a horror movie Jamie but (laughs) (laughs) I'd be there for five minutes and be like oh my god this is so scary they're not penning some sort of like yeah scary movie but anyway yeah, yeah it's I do need that time alone and that I think comes from from my childhood especially yeah thank you very much for answering that as well I mean that's my favorite question to ask I just love finding out about where people are from and and sort of where they grew up and how that sort of had an impact on their life also just because I'm nosy as well I think that's part of it I mean why, why do you have a podcast in the first place if you're not nosy I guess but no, it's a really interesting <laughs> <Positive>. <laughs> yeah and, and I love the thing you were talking about being outside as well because I mean I grew up in Glen Office which is which, which we were quite lucky the war although it was an industrial town there was a lot of green space and like a lot of like places to go and sort of be outside and I think that's definitely helped me as a creative person just by the amount of time I spent running around with my friends and brothers and stuff outside you know I think that really does help totally but I think that spending time outside when you've not got anything to do with your hands and you're not just sitting Mm -hmm. watching something and like being a tv zombie it does something 
I mean, it's where I come up with most of my ideas. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. It's like going out for runs or walks or just being outdoors. And that was the same when I was a kid. My imagination would go wild. I remember, you know, spending time in botanic gardens, just wandering around, looking at tre- trees, look like yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, and, do. you know, that you find faces and stuff and we would have such adventures. And I don't think that's ever left me. I still see no. faces and things all the time. And, you know, I still kind of yeah. enjoy coming up with silly nonsense about why the other day my niece was asking me why why is there a tide why does the tide happen and I was like it's because fish drink all the water and then it goes away and then they pee it all back out and then it comes back out and she was like amazing is that true and I was like yeah she's like they're drinking their pee that's amazing and being in lockdown as well I think that especially has made it even more like important to get outside for me like that daily walk thing last year was like what kept me sane like you need to just need it so isn't it funny that it took for that for all of us to sort of think (laughs) about the impact of the great outdoors and yeah you know how how we are affected but there is something physiological that does happen plants release certain chemicals that that do Mm. have a calming effect on us so being out and it's not just looking at these beautiful landscapes that that is calming and had that sense of space it is often the chemicals that we're being exposed yeah, to as no. well which is cool absolutely yeah and again makes it even more important with what we were talking about the environment at the start you know why we need to make sure to to save the planet and all that okay well i still got i mean lots and lots to ask you about like the more specific stuff of what you've been up to in your amazing career so far well actually i've also forgotten to ask you your favorite word before i forget you what's your sort of favorite word and phrase from glasgow actually mm-hmm. Oh, so actually, it's not from Glasgow. It doesn't have to be from from Glasgow, you know, from your background or whatever, yeah. So my family are Muslim and my dad's from Pakistan. Mm. And I really love that when people talk, they say, inshallah, after everything. Yeah. Like, after everything. And so to give you some context, okay, people, Pakistanis are not known for their timekeeping, okay? (laughs) just not known for timekeeping at all everything is is late and everything is another day it's yeah. like like the spanish with mañana mañana and i often think about that you know the nike slogan just just do it which people give so, us advice on this podcast all the time they just say that and then like hey. nike are gonna sue us <laughs> well tell you what the pakistanis would say just do it tomorrow inshallah <laughs> 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 I love it. They just, yeah, that's that's the way that. that but it's after everything. It's like, mm. oh, good luck starting your job. Oh, inshallah. Yeah. Or you know, oh, this is great that you know you're you're going to be doing like you're going on holiday. Inshallah. And it's like just it means kind of God willing, God willing. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I I'm not very religious at all, but but my family are, and so I never say it. But I, and so it's weird that it's one of my favorite words. But I just I love observing it. And yeah, no, no, that's a great answer. It's such a lovely connection with people where you know there's just a there's like a little nod that goes with it and yeah i feel like you just have to say it after everything would you like a cup of tea inshallah oh <laughs> it's just, no it's good it's interesting as well i suppose what i'm interested in next is sort of like what were your sort of next steps so you were saying you're doing a master's in journalism and you study business and stuff as well so after that like what sort of happened and like where did you end up first on your incredible multi-hyphen career it's so hard to answer that because actually i, I did business as an undergraduate degree finished got started being offered jobs in marketing and just doing things that I was I've been sacked 20 times Jamie just to give just to be completely transparent yeah I was a really shit employee I've always <laughs> been a really shit employee <laughs> can't wait to ask you the, the jobs question later then this is exciting I mean it's just anyway yeah there's been so many reasons for it sometimes it was me sometimes it was them 
But I was sacked from a graduate job mm. and I really hated the women I was working for. We weren't getting on, really bad vibes. And so I decided to go to Bermuda to work in a rum bar. And I did that. I worked in this rum bar for a year. My dad was devastated. He was like, but Tamiz, what? <laughs> How can you study for 40 years to go and work in bloody Bermuda in a rum bar? He just, he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. He still gets really upset about it to this day whenever it comes mm. up. I had a great time. Yeah, I went on a fun. voyage of self-discovery. Jamie, yeah. I honestly had a blast. I got a motorbike. Amazing. Island. <laughs> I was like, I was having a great time. <laughs> but I guess I always wanted to write. And I, I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't really know the, the route to that. And I kind of really regretted not studying English literature or creative writing or going to art school or whatever. Yeah. And I thought, I, I saw a few courses and one of them was with the course I did have, I could do a master's degree in journalism, but I'd have to kind of pass an entry exam just to to prove that I wasn't a complete muppet and could spell my name and do you know <laughs> they had an entry exam to, to let me in to study print journalism and I thought that was going to be I loved stories I've always loved stories I've loved making up stories even when I was younger I used to make up kind of cartoon books and stuff for my little brother and you know always loved coming up with with ideas for for stories and telling lots of stories and, and lying a lot I used to lie <laughs> a lot pretend that I had like ghosts living in my house and yeah. all sorts of stuff so yeah I, I mean I became a journalist and it became a human rights journalist really following yeah, yeah. that but I didn't really stay in it for very long because to cut a very long story short I would I had been working for the Scottish Human Rights Commission. I was working for the Innocence Project. I then sold out miserably and got a job as a technical journalist in the oil and gas industry. Can you imagine going from oh, like, yeah, yeah. what the hell was I thinking? I know. Going from being going from being a human rights journalist to working in the oil and gas industry. So I know you better not have said I that last, cop. That that's like Satan there, I imagine. <laughs> I lasted three months and I was sacked. Yeah. But by that point, I had moved up to Aberdeen and I had a boyfriend at the time. I moved him up to Aberdeen and we were in this flat we'd sign up to for a while. And I just, I remember just being so distraught and like, what the hell am I doing? And now I have no idea how I'm going to earn money. I thought I was going to have to sign on for the first time in my life. And I was like, oh, this just sucks. It was really a really depressing, dark stage of life. Yeah. And I saw the STV were looking for community editors. So people just work on their online, on their local channel in Aberdeen or their local website. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I joined STV and I was there for about three months. And within uh, three months before I started picking up cameras, playing about with stuff, staying late to do the autocue, because I'd never been exposed to broadcast before. Yeah. And it was just so cool. Like it was just awesome. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. People are running about all the time, shouting headlines, breaking news. It was just a, like a really exciting world to, to bear witness to. And they always needed someone to stay and do the auto -key. Yeah. But and they struggled to find people. So when I, my shift finished at six, you'd stay into the auto queue for the news. And yeah, I was just picking up cameras and playing around with it. And Andrea Breimer, who was who still is the presenter up in Aberdeen, she asked me if I wanted to learn how to present because there were no sort of way there, there was there were no initiatives or no sort of internal processes for moving direction there was nothing internally that was going to help me do that and Andrea took it upon herself to spend a couple of days a week with me just teaching me how to read the news getting me into the studio getting the tech team set up so that I could get a show reel and I submitted it for a few internal jobs and I got a job as a production journalist in the Edinburgh newsroom which involved reading 
late night bulletins, creating packages, voicing packages. And it was it was my first kind of entry to to the creative world, I guess, of, of news. Can you say the creative world of news? Because it was. A lot of people don't <laughs> yeah, no, realize it. It's very it, creative. It is. It's, yeah, definitely creative. Writing stuff. the scripts and choosing hmm. the shots. And yeah, I love so I love that. So I guess that was broadcast for me has been, and it's really it's a shame because a lot of people ask, how do I become a presenter? And I think I never really intended on doing it. I don't know. And I don't think there is just one way of doing it. I was really lucky that I met a great mentor at the right time and in the right set of circumstances, opportunities, and I had access to the resources, you know, a newsroom at lunchtime to sit in the yeah, news yeah. chair and, and behind the news desk and get a great showreel together. So, you know, if I hadn't done that and I hadn't had been exposed to that mentor, then I don't think I would be where I am today. Yeah. Oh, that's that's amazing. That's really interesting. Like, and it's kind of again how everything sort of falls into place, and you can do so many different things that you learn other skills on. That then further down the line end up getting you a job somewhere, or end up like being like a big part. It, it just shows you like you can soak up everything, and like there's you know there's no wrong path. And that's why I love having people on this podcast from so so many different areas because it, it, again and again there's no right path, and everyone's path is different. And I think people forget that, and they think what's the right way to do it? I'm doing it wrong, but there's no wrong. You know, there's no right answer. No, so. there's no wrong. But but I would say though that it's people like yeah, absolutely most jobs in this industry they don't come from filling out an application form they come through you know the the people you know and I don't mean that in a sort of nepotistic way I mean it like you have access to mentors you have access to people that will champion you that will help connect you that will tell you about opportunities and let you know what's out there and Mm -hmm. help guide you a little bit and if I I I really do owe a lot to Andrea Brimer because if she hadn't done that I don't think any of what I'm doing now would have transpired in the way it has and I love the way it has so yeah thanks hello it's Jamie here you may have heard this advert several times before but if not this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful. Not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcast, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it, it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash job, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. So to sort of go, and I know this is difficult because it was the same when obviously Rachel Fulton, who I know you know as well, when we had her on the podcast, it was very similar in the sense I that, love Rachel. Yeah, she was a great guest, but like, you know, her her career path was very, is very like zigzaggy and it can be hard on a podcast like this to get a sort of accurate timeline because there's a lot to talk about. But I suppose like my question is after you work in STV and stuff, what was the sort of next step there and where did you sort of end up from after doing that? So to, to break it down, I want to I just 
give one kind of wrap up learning before I move on, because I, I think that it's really important actually for yeah, people yeah. to be aware of that when, if you start working in a local newsroom, like a lot of people might turn their nose up at working in local television or mm. local news or small teams or whatever. But what that experience did for me, you know, I started there as a production journalist working in news. And then a year later, I was asked to go and join the local channel STV Edinburgh and I was one of the core presenters for the Fountain Bridge show which then led to me presenting cookery programs wildlife shows doing live OBs Edinburgh festival it was so amazing the opportunities that I had there but because the teams were so small Jamie I had to you know they would say we need someone to become a video journalist or we need someone that can pick up camera and I was like oh my god send me away and learn like I'm happy to learn how to become a video journalist I'm happy to work behind the camera I want to learn how to edit I want to learn how to this is a prolific thing again see it's a prolific thing (laughs) I want to you know I'm more than happy to produce this program or assistant produce this program or I didn't always want to be in front of the camera I, I kind of liked getting to see the show from all angles yeah. So by the time I left, I was a presenter for Jennifer Rioch when she wasn't in. I would often step in and present. And I had been presenting every Friday with Grant Stott. And so there was, you know, I had that great opportunity on screen, but I was also learning how to produce. I was a producer by the time I left for programs. I was a reporter. I was a video journalist. I was an editor. And having those different jobs meant every week I was probably doing all five of them on different days. Some yeah. days I was doing two. Some days I'd be out, you know, producing a package and then I'd be presenting the show that night it just it 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 changed so don't turn your nose up at being in small teams when you're just starting out or 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 local news because what happened there was I had all the skills I needed so that when I was I was finally made redundant and I was like see ya like that is totally fine I've got everything I need to move on and I took a job producing this morning on ITV so I moved straight down to London like I finished the job with STV on the Friday and I was starting with them on Monday and I was like okay you know it's on to bigger and better as far as I'm concerned as in like you know it's it's life I think too often when you know we're disappointed we're made redundant we think you know what's you want to sit and dissect everything that's gone wrong and it's such a waste of energy and time and just bad vibes so just move on and go and do something else and that was really cool working with bigger resources but before I had left actually and this was a kind of in fact this was a trigger for me becoming a screenwriter was at the time Andy Chambers who was my boss at STV one of my boss at STV he knew that I was doing a bit of stand-up because when I was doing the show yeah I used to work for the late show and I did some stand-up comedy and it started going really well and they filmed it they filmed my first ever stand-up set for the show and it was at the fringe and it went really well and so by that point by the time I left STV I was a stand-up comedian as well as a reporter presenter producer editor video journalist <laughs> everything <laughs> all the more yeah yeah and an event host so he had seen a job with the comedy unit production company in in Glasgow they make still game tunes yeah yeah and he said, I think you should apply for this job. It's for an assistant producer role, but I think you should apply. And it was part of the application process was to come up with an idea for a new Scottish sitcom. And I went along, totally fluffed the interview, but had a, an idea for a sitcom and I pitched them the sitcom. And so when they phoned me to say, we're not going to offer you the job, they also said, but we did kind of like your idea. And by that point, I was like, I'm going to London. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'd never written anything before, but just having that, nod to an idea was enough to spark Mm. something in me that was like okay I want to make this happen and I thought you've wanted to write 
and you've gone all around the houses now. So maybe the goal here should be to write something. But classically in this industry, especially with writers, it takes so long to, to write yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I thought I need something, a goal. I need like a goal. And I was looking on the BBC Writers Room and I saw that the BBC Comedy Writers Room was open for submissions. Yeah, And I think I had about 10 days until the deadline. And I thought, oh, to hell with it. I'm going to give this a bash. And just because then I've got something, you know, I've got something to show for this idea. And so I knew how it was going to open and I wrote the first page. And then I just kind of went on a journey with the characters through the next 29 pages and had a script. I had looked at a couple of screenplays and been like, okay, this is kind of what it looks like. Yeah, you know, to hell with it. Fuck it, I'll chuck it in and see what happens. But Jamie, I honestly could not believe that I got into the BBC comedy writers room because that was, I mean, great, obviously great. But it was just such a, like, I, I, I kept pinching myself and I still have moments where I need to like slap myself and go like, did that yeah. actually happen? That's crazy. Did that really happen? But then what's been interesting from that is that, I mean, that was the first screenplay that I'd ever written and it obviously did well. And that's now been picked up by a production company. But I, since then, I did go back to the comedy unit and I was like, listen, guys, just wanted to say thank you so much because, you know, because you said you liked it. I wrote it. I put it in. This is what's happened with it. And they were like, can we read it? And I went, yeah, cool. And they were like, what else have you got? And they've actually optioned one of my other sitcoms now. So I'm working with them on that, which is crazy because that's how... Isn't it funny? But like, yeah, if and this is what I mean with contacts and people, mm-hmm, you know, Rab mm-hmm. at the comedy unit is amazing. And I think you you kind of try and build those connections a little bit. Yeah. And don't forget people go back to them and say, hey, I've got this uh, thing. Do you want absolutely. to hunt your shite? Hunt your <laughs> shite everywhere. Yeah. And I think just being like so like confident enough to just be like, yeah, I'm going to go back and I'm going to, you know, it shows that you remember them as well. I think that goes so far. I mean, you know, it definitely does. It's like, it's all about being nice as well and like having these connections and like knowing how to, to sell yourself is, is, is great. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a sales aspect to this, but I kind of tend not to look at it as sales until yeah. I get rejection. And I think rejection is the only time that I kind of go, well, you know, closer to yes. That's the only yeah. time I can consider this. I think it's all about being human, really, isn't it? It's absolutely. I, I tend to work as if, like, do we get on? Do I like you? Do you like me? You know, what color of shirt were you wearing last Tuesday? I want to know every yeah. all the details <laughs> about you and your life before we, you know, work together. And some clients really like that. Other people think I'm a total pain in the ass. And <laughs> you know, if you think, if I you suppose like not, that, every, you know, you can't please everyone either. And that's you know, that's the thing. But I like I suppose the thing with this you were saying about your comedy script as well like sometimes it's just I mean when we working in development and, and TV and stuff often it's just that you see a voice you see something in it that makes it stand out and like even and as you say as well like sometimes you can write something it maybe isn't for everyone but like it, you know if even if they liked an, a little bit of it or something in it they might go well can I read something else and then that you know so it's always just good to have it's so funny else. you say that yeah because so someone sent that script to the BBC uh the one that I wrote and they saw this one bit and they were like do you want to redo short stuff do you want to take yeah. this one bit and try and write a short stuff about it and so I was like yeah okay and that's how I got into doing short stuff in the BBC because they took this one bit of it and we're like and, and that was Pack Life which was the one that's now yeah. it's got like six million she's very funny yeah I saw it at the time and I rewatched it on Monday and prep for this and it is very funny little sketch thanks thanks very much yeah well it was a it was great to have the team working on that that I did because they all brought something very different and very unique to it so 
yeah I was very blessed to have them on board but yeah it, it's done really well and it's you know obviously led to a lot more opportunities and just very unexpected kind of things that, that, that have come from that but it's great because with with the shorter stuff they kind of give you the money and tell you to go make it and you know you can crew up and do your own thing and yeah. put as much or as little kind of effort into the technical side of it as you like and it's just such a great opportunity to reach an audience you know they yeah, push it out yeah. on social channels and it's just mad isn't it though that first one it's like it's just have six million views and then none of the other ones have done as well obviously so now I'm like oh I was a I was a one hit oh it's wonder. great no it's not at all like it's not you know it's not always about the numbers anyways you know. fine Jamie it's Lots all right of, yeah. it's okay I can deal with that one hit wonder <laughs> take it I mean it's better than being nothing isn't it like you know one's better than nothing as well so you just you, you've got to do stuff to keep yourself happy and I think there's definitely yeah. a learning the business side to this as well and oh, so learning much, about yeah. audiences and that's actually kind of what was good about the BBC writer's room is that they a lot of what they're doing is kind of t- introducing you to the industry it's not just yeah. how to write a script it's how do you pitch it how do you tailor it how do you go about like what is the business who do you need to mm. speak to and how does it work yeah and that that's actually half the battle well I say half the battle that makes it sound like a negative thing but half of the job of a script editor is often working with new writers to sort of it's not that they they already have the talent they're a great writer it's just you're helping them harness that in a way that appeals to the business appeals to the market like how do they you know how do they work to get something to TV because it's very difficult to get something to TV or to get something to film like there's a huge journey and you don't actually realize how long it takes as well as mental so you know you can have stuff in development for 10 years like the queen's gambit and stuff but you know there's lots of great stuff to learn in that i guess as well i mean that gives me the fear 10 bloody years i don't think that happens very often but i mean but you're you're an example though of of how like something doesn't maybe feel like it's going to work out like the comedy unit thing being a rejection and then it ends up you know in the future working out brilliantly so you think that somebody's, you know, just because somebody's rejected you, it's a great lesson that, you know, you can still make a good impression and not get a job or not get something. And then it comes back for you like a year down the line or whatever. So, yeah, because I think we can be really hard on ourselves when we yeah. get a no. And the fact is, I'm because I remember, did you watch the Friends reunion? You know, the bit yeah. where Ross is talking, you know, and you find out that Ross auditioned for something else for the producers years before and he didn't get it. And so when they wrote this and when they had this, they totally had him in mind. And it's that sort of stuff that should give you the hope, or like have a little bit of faith also to deal with rejection in a way that is healthy where you sort yeah. of can dust it off it's not a big deal you know I still get a lot of rejection in in my life and with my career and you know just yeah. a couple of weeks ago I had an absolute stinker of one where it was a really good opportunity and I've been working with a, a team on the creative and they suggested me as a presenter for something that was really quite big and when it went to the producer at the channel they just said no, we don't want her to do it. We don't want her. We don't think she's the right fit. And I was like, isn't it funny that, you know, at every stage in your life, and I think it's harder when you're starting out because you need a few yeses just to kind of keep you going. But at every stage in life, you're going to have people that close the door on you. And at every stage, you're going to have someone that says, I don't want to give you this, or I don't want you to have this opportunity. And I'm going to say a big fat no. And it is how you deal with that and how you move on from it. The fact is, that should be teaching you to be resilient and keep mm. going. But mm. I think sometimes people find it really, really hard to deal with that. And, and it does put a lot of people off. You know, that's Absolutely. why so many people decide not, you know, they give up on their, their dreams. I mean, it's hard though. It is hard. To, yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's it great. Is. It's great that you sort of started talking about it because that was going to be a question for um, I had for you. It was about how you deal with rejection stuff. And I, I, but yeah, it's, it's great to, you know, it's a great answer for that. And like, you know, it's something, sadly, it's just part of this industry is rejection. But if I suppose someone like you is a great example of how you can use that is in a positive way as well and how you can spin it to sort of keep yourself going and, and but actually 
it would be really shit if people just said yes to me all the time. Do you know how much of an asshole I would be if people just said yes all <laughs> yeah, the time? Yeah, that's true. You need to learn from, you also you learn from You have to failure. have nose. Yeah, you have to have nose. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't mind, I don't mind getting nose. I still get enough yeses. There's great opportunities that come in every day. And I think that it, it, it humbles you as well when you get someone who says no, or when someone does kind of tell you, the door is closing. It, it does give you a moment to reflect and sort of think, well, yeah. for me, what it does is go, I'll show you. Yeah. One day, one day you're <laughs> going to be begging me. One day you're going to be begging me to present something for you. Guaranteed. Yeah. And Absolutely. that's what it does to me because I have a little bit of fuck you about me and I hope I never lose that. And I think you, I think you need a little bit of fuck you about you in this industry. Drives where you, you can still say namaste, no worries. Thanks very much for your time. But I'm going to fucking show you. Yeah. I think that's what's kept me going is having a little bit of that. Absolutely. And I, I think also I have that as well. And I think something's coming from maybe just a working class background where you didn't growing up, you didn't see people working in TV or didn't see people doing podcasts or whatever. And you sort of being told that you can't get a job in that. And that the whole point of this podcast this is a sort of a massive, you know, the name of this podcast, I guess, is a big fuck you to that sort of attitude. Like, why are you bothering to do that? So, Matt, you know, whenever you are successful and it drives you on so much, just like, no, I'm going to prove you're wrong. You can do it. And I will do it. Do you know what I mean? And I think that actually carries you so far. Yeah, I, I do quite like getting a no sometimes. I, it's the same in dating, to be honest. <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> don't want everyone to say yes. You know, I need to get and I'll, you know, I'll make you come crawling one yeah. day. Keep, keeps the ego you know? in check, maybe as well. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But there's a few, like, I know we've nearly been speaking for an hour, which is, I mean, it's great. There's so much to talk to you about. I'm trying to get, I'll try and get a few specific things in as well. But something I wanted to ask you about was a spirited journey, which you kind of touched on at the start, but the, going away and making that sort of documentary as well, because that sounds amazing. Oh God, yeah, it was. I decided that when I became full-time self-employed, it's something I want to do every year is make a philanthropic sort of film project in some ways. And, and a documentary was a really good idea or a really good route for me because I had been working as a video journalist and I had worked you know in, in news and current affairs and so I was approached by a friend of a friend a woman called Stephanie Willard and she runs a United Nations supported charity out in Nepal called Seven Women and they support marginalized and disabled women out there so a lot of the women who are born if you're born with a disability because of the kind of cultural beliefs and religious beliefs out there a lot of people believe that you have maybe done something in a former life and and so there's not the same empathy and there's certainly not yeah. the same financial packages and care system that exists there so a lot of these women were ending up out on the streets living alone in abusive relationships there were some mm. really horrible situations and she met seven women living in a tin shed about 10 years ago and she had about 200 dollars to spare and she was like i'm going to upskill them and teach them you know how to make crafts that will sell and from that the business has grown or the the organization's grown the charity's grown and and she's now doing so so much that the the organization have supported over 5000 women in Nepal yeah. and it's helping them become business women it's finding money to send them to universities to have them educated young girls saving young girls from the village so they're not being married off young so instead they have the opportunity to study to go and work abroad to earn better money to support their families so I went out there for two weeks and I was working with this incredible group of people a lot of other 
philanthropists. One of them was Jennifer Jones, and she is the first ever female president of uh, a number of, of, of great organizations, but mostly Rotary International, which are huge globally. So I had the pleasure of meeting her and working with them. It was, they had just launched the Sustainable Tourism Tour, and it was essentially going along, documenting that, meeting the women. And oh my God, I, it, it is definitely... <laughs> an experience that changed my life in so many ways because I had access to the women out there to meet them, to hear their stories, but it was just me and my camera for, you know, two weeks. And I really wished I had a soundie. I really wish I had someone to, to help a little bit because every night coming home with that much footage, trying to work out where's the kind of story arc, where, where's the threads, where's this going? What, what, what am I making of, yeah, you know, yeah. from this? So to come back with 10 days worth of footage was quite a lot to then crack into, but it's, it's done really well. It was shortlisted recently for the Pinewood Studios Liftoff Filmmaker Sessions. And it's actually just won a technical award at the first ever uh, Global Tourism Film Festival, which is is really cool. Yeah. Because it's just good. It just helps to raise awareness for the, the work that they're doing. And Nepal was really badly affected during lockdown and during the pandemic. You know, people living out there really, really did struggle. And a lot of the women who had been benefiting from the organisation, who'd started businesses, you know, they found that their businesses were suffering because there was no tourism anymore. So to have stuff like that happen with a documentary is really cool just because, you know, the, the whole point in it was to help them. And yeah. all the little bits, you know, all the success it has just goes a little bit further towards raising their profile. Yeah, no, it sounds incredible. And I mean, again, also just going out there yourself for like, and filming it on your own for 10 days and making a documentary is, in itself is a pretty incredible achievement, I think. So like, congratulations to doing that. Like, Thanks, so. Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I'm, I'm hoping to do one a year but this year I haven't managed to do one because yeah. of lockdown but next year in fact in June I am going to Tanzania to Amazing. hopefully climb Kilimanjaro and do my second one <laughs> while I'm filming yeah. and while I'm climbing well I don't I don't know if that's going to happen because right now I am not fit enough Jamie <laughs> something else I quickly wanted to ask you as well is about how like obviously you do mentor and stuff as well like you sort of operate like a 50-50 model between like working your sort of creative stuff and also like working with other people to mentor them in in various ways and championing like young women stuff particularly that I mean that's all because of Andrea like genuinely I I needed someone to see my potential and to give me a chance and you know to have someone with experience in the industry and with connections to say I'm going to give you some help I'm going to help you out here it just you need it everyone needs it you know, there's Absolutely. there's a community that you can build around what you do mm-hmm. and tapping into some of the communities that exist. But yeah, it's been really important for me to take yeah. the time to offer, you know, my services and my expertise and just my advice. And sometimes people just need someone to talk to and to talk yeah. an idea out with. And I do a lot of mentoring that's sort of unofficially like there's a lot of especially young women in the industry that I just say if you want to go for anything you want to have a chat about something just give me a call and we'll often you know catch up for an hour just on zoom and have a, a chat about what they're doing what they want to do if I have any ideas or any contacts I'll swing them their way yeah. or do an introduction but then there's I'm mentoring a, a young woman at the moment who has a really I'm exec producing her show for her to help try and get that it placed as a commission yeah no I'm mentoring a young woman at the moment who is just incredibly talented and hardworking and has some great ideas but she just I met her she reminded me a lot of myself and and I thought you know what I I feel like I could really help her here so that's more we've we've kind of we have an agreement together that's a bit more official than than some of the mentoring that I do but I'm always really open to having chats with people about their careers and I actually really love doing it even when I was on my way to Bristol 
couple of days ago, I sat next to a guy on the train, this young, young lad from Swansea, and we started having a chat and it turns out he was also in the industry. Uh, he was starting out as, as a branded producer and we had a conversation and he wasn't really happy in his job and he was telling me what he did. And I was able to connect him with someone that I know who's looking for, for another branded content producer at the moment. And they're now having a conversation. And I just, oh. I don't know what it is about making those yeah. little connections. It's just nice that, though, isn't it? It's a nice feeling. It imagine. just feels good. Yeah. It just feels good that you're like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But also for him, he made that happen. You know, he, could have chosen just to ignore this loopy bird sat next to him that was like wanting to chat for an hour and a half on the train journey and instead he engaged and he spoke to me and you know told me about himself and it it led to something and I think I often think about those serendipitous moments that lead to something wonderful and you should never discount any interaction even if it is with some stranger on a train because you just never know I've met so many so many amazing people on trains or and on public transport and just in the most unlikely places that turn out to have a connection or you, they know someone or they help you with something or you help them and you just can't discount the, the human connection yeah absolutely I think that I mean I think that's the main one of the main things that's come up I think I think what's sort of one of the, the things that's come up time and time again in our conversation tonight is just that human connection and just be like speaking to other people and interacting and, and positively and, and and being I just think being really nice and being really enthusiastic takes you so far in this industry and it's what's got me where I am today and I, I just always tell people that's my advice though is just do be enthusiastic and be nice and I think it gets you so far I know in this industry though we're always talking about vibes and energy yeah, but it's yeah. so true though because people I think we're all human we all react to each other and who doesn't want to work with someone that's got you know that's vibrant that's engaging yeah. that's enthusiastic you know of course you want to work with those people because and you want to be around those people and even socially you want to be around those people yeah. like I've got the pub with you Jamie <laughs> oh thank you very much I would I'll go to the pub with you as well I always say it's always nice than um you know doing the podcast as well and just getting to meet new people and it's the best thing about it you know what I mean I've made I've made friends for doing it and I think but just you know speaking to other people is this, this is great and I think it helps you and your career a lot as well yeah, I but that's but it's also just shows I think your initiative and ability to self start because that's something yeah. that if you can do that in this industry, then you're laughing really. I think yeah. you know if I had any advice to to anyone, it would be to turn your ideas into something tangible. Don't yeah. just sit on ideas all the time because I did that for years and nothing happened. And the second I started just transforming ideas into something, like I have something to show for this idea that I can actually say yeah. to people, this is what I'm talking about. Do you want this? Or do you like this? Or I'll chuck it on my website. And you know, once you've created something, you then have something to show for it. You've got something to sell. You've got something that's like a calling card or that people can understand what it is you do. I just think that's been the best advice I ever had. And, and certainly bit of advice that I would always pass on yeah no well, I think you'd answered like one of the one of the questions I was going to ask you perfectly again you, you've done that a few times it's great it's always like great when a guest like preempts like a question like answers it perfectly just get a real job. well I guess a question I'm very very excited to ask you because you'd said you've been sacked 20 times of the name of the podcast obviously just get a real job but like what's the worst part-time job you'd ever had to work or the worst quote like real job you'd ever worked that you hated and sort of had to do to support yourself in your in your career I really detested working in call centers I was selling water cooler trials and there was no flexibility in the script 
And so once you'd read it about eight times, you had it down. And I was like a ro- I just felt like a robot. Like I was going in, I put on my headset and it was just like, there was no physical engagement. There was no emotional interaction. There was nothing there. It was just like a crypt. I, I hated it. I hated everything about working in a call center because it wasn't suited to my personality, to me. I needed people to speak to you. I needed real things going on. I needed to choose my brain or to create. But I did. The plus side of that job was I, I started sketching a lot while I was speaking to people. And by the end of every day, I would have like three or four really cool sketches. And I go home and be like, look what I did today. <laughs> three or four cool sketches. But yeah, it was I found that mind numbing. Yeah. I mean, there were ones jobs I had that were just you know I didn't get on with but I had a lot of problems with bosses over the years I'm, I'm not very good with autocratic personalities I don't really enjoy hierarchy very much especially when I'm at the bottom of it so it can be difficult <laughs> I think yeah well I think I could probably be quite difficult I recognize a lot of my own problems from when I was I was growing up I was very immature I was very problematic I'm still probably both of those things <laughs> but at least I work for myself now so <laughs> I'm not gonna sack myself now am I hopefully not (laughs) I'm great for really good for breaks I give myself a lot of breaks but not so good at giving myself holiday time I don't approve much holiday time unfortunately so well it it can be difficult as a creative person to switch off though can't it I mean I feel like I have to always be doing something productive even if I'm not working or I'm not doing the podcast it's like a weekend I'm like well I'm not doing anything until two o'clock today so I should probably clean out a cupboard or do something you know productive with my time you're allowed to just sit down and watch something but I'm never good at doing that you know no I know I yeah I can't just sit at the television like if I'm watching something I have a pen and pad beside me or you know creating something in Canva or writing dotting down some ideas because actually sometimes I, I feel like as a writer part my job for the day is just letting an idea sit in my head and do you know what I mean by that like you just kind of let it sit there percolate yeah yeah and so that means it's still sort of present every time with whatever you're doing which means if you're Mm. watching tv you're still making lots of connections and going like oh that's that's a really good character flaw (laughs) in someone or a little word that they say or something so I feel like you never switch off fully definitely one of the sort of last questions I wanted to ask you as well which again is it may be a difficult one because I know we do so many different things in the creative industry but like what have sort of your biggest influences been like as in things you'd watched or loved or read you know and it could be anything really like what would you say sort of biggest influences have been on you creatively when I was younger it was always reading I loved reading children's books and I actually still really love reading children's books like quite often I will go into a bookshop and just go and look through the children's section because you know I think that there's something about their capacity for creativity that has no boundaries the same as like the same as like sort of the sci-fi era there that that kind of like space where anything can happen and anything is possible and I think that children's stories I mean I'm, I don't I know it's like like I'm such a basic bitch but like Roldal was where I started it's great. Um, I mean everyone likes Roldal surely it's not basic is yeah, it for it's sure. not basic I feel like that's I'm a basic like... bitch yeah I feel like a basic bitch it's kind of like saying I want to be the next flea bag you know it's like doing that it's, <laughs> the amount on. of writers that still say now. that I shouldn't Come really say that but the amount of writers that still say that in, in exec meetings and stuff anyway <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I think starting off with them but but now you know I love uh, David Williams David Baddiel like there's lots of kind of quite quirky 
Ty Pratchett like just I, I love, love that Pratchett, yeah yeah the, the the ideas that are just that let you disappear into just a whole new world a whole new space that doesn't that, that never existed before yeah. and that's kind of the, the kind of comedy that I enjoy as well the really sort of heightened reality and something that's just a bit bonkers you know as I became an adult I I an adult the loosest term possible I was like really I really loved South Park and I still really love like I started watching very 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 good writing though great writing yeah bonkers like so offensive but so hilarious and you know I think that there's I still love watching South Park and I've got like a couple of really good friends who like when we watch them we will message each other and be like (laughs) oh my god have you seen that (laughs) you know and I think that having those things all shape your sort of personality as well but your taste and and what you write and I I think I as a writer I I kind of look for the obscure and the unusual and what's going to really surprise someone to chuck in right now what's going to you know surprise people to just have pop up that they won't be expecting and it's like a little bit offbeat or a little bit out there and that's from my love of children's stories and that will I hope never leave me I hope that I always have a really huge sense of wonderment and just an abundance for the unusual and the bonkers and the silly and just stuff that is just daft I hope I never (laughs) lose my daftness yeah no it's great I feel like that's a perfect place to end on on that note but honestly that this has been so much fun I've, I've really enjoyed recording this one it's been great it's been so many tangents and I feel like we both waffled in the best possible way so thank you very very much for giving up your time and speaking to someone like me as well you know I know you Jamie like... you've been amazing honestly and I, I thank you for bearing with me so there you go that was my conversation with Zara thank you very much to her again for giving up her Wednesday evening to chat to me we had a, a really fun conversation I hope you enjoyed it as well be sure as always to go and check the links in the show notes go and see what Zara's all about go and watch her short films go and support her on social media all that stuff and as always as well if you're enjoying this podcast be sure to share us on social media tell friends and family to listen if you're enjoying this please word of mouth is our biggest tool that's how we grow we also have a Patreon page all the money we make goes back into the upkeep of this podcast so if you can afford to spare as little as a pound a month please consider signing up to our patreon and also if you are listening to this on apple podcasts or google podcasts and you have time to spare a quick five-star review that really helps us to be seen by people that might not otherwise have heard of us so that would be very much appreciated anyway we'll be back again next week with the christmas special but until then i hope you have a lovely week Just get a real job.